All right, good afternoon or good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the September the 7th edition, uh, 2016, our first full Wednesday. Uh, yeah, I guess it is our first full Wednesday of, of September. Uh, welcome to the show tonight. We're going to be uh, wrapping up our tropics talk. Seems like we've been talking about Hermine for a very long time, and so <laughs> we're going to kind of uh, put Hermine to bed, per se, uh, as she has finally... Uh, I guess lost her status. The National Hurricane Center has uh, discontinued all advisories. So uh, we're going to kind of recap her meeting. We have uh, Matt Reagan on with us tonight. He is the meteorologist at a uh, meteorologist at Florida State, also AMS chair uh, for that area. So Matt was uh, right in the uh, crosshairs of her meeting. So we'll talk with uh, Matt, and then we'll uh, also talk with Shay, who Hermine visited next. And then as Hermine ventured up the East Coast. We'll talk with Peter about all the weather up in the uh, Jersey area. So uh, our panelists actually have uh, all of the bases covered per se here. So uh, we are uh, happy to have Matt on with us tonight uh, talking about the effects it had there in the Gulf Coast. But uh, before we do that, let's uh, take care of a few housekeeping rules. This is a live broadcast. So if you do want to interact with us tonight, uh, you can do that one of a few ways. You can uh, uh, get us on Twitter, uh, at Carolina WX Group. Uh, feel free to send those tweets in, or you can uh, put the message or comments or questions on our Facebook page. Uh, we'll get to those, or you can do them on our Google Plus page. Does anybody use Google Plus anymore? Oh, no. I check it. That's about <laughs> it. So you're saying anymore implies someone ever actually used it before. Yeah, I think it tried, but it just never made it. Kind of like uh, those earbuds that Apple brought out today. I don't think those are going to be around, <laughs> but that's for another discussion. Anyway, uh, welcome. Uh, we're going to welcome uh, our panelists. Let's uh, go around the, the mahogany table, as uh, James Spann likes to talk about. And I think the only guy who had some weather in the area today is Mr. David Reese. David, you guys had some storms up there in the Charlottesville area today. Uh, yeah, we're actually dealing with one right now in Louisa County, which is the county just to the east of Charlottesville and Albemarle County here in central Virginia. So if you remember uh, that earthquake back in 2011 that rocked the east coast to mineral area, that's where the storm is right now. So, yeah, that's been fun. Shan and I were talking about this yesterday, and we can all think this to uh, her needs. So we're finally actually getting some kind of rain from her mean. It only took, what, six, seven days after, or five days after landfall for it to finally impact us here in Central Virginia, but still, it was, uh, it's been hot. We saw today, we still managed to get up to 93, 94. We hit 94 yesterday. We got into the lower 90s on Monday, so definitely abnormally warm here across Central Virginia over the past couple of days. More heat and humidity in the forecast the next couple of days. Next week, hopefully, we'll cool off a little bit closer to average, but yeah, definitely the... Uh, all the fun is happening in uh, my backyard here in Central Virginia this afternoon. Sorry, someone was trying to FaceTime me. They know that I'm doing this on Wednesday nights. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's go over to uh, the Jersey area where, Peter, I, I'm assuming you've got all the suitcases unpacked uh, from all your fun and adventures where you're supposed to evacuate the coast and all that good stuff. Oh, yeah, something terrible, let me tell you. You know, on Sunday, I was relaxing on my patio with beautiful sunshine and a nice little breeze from Hermine. You know, it was just great. So, uh, 
yeah, I'm sure as you all know, nothing happened here in Jersey. Just a couple of uh, showers along the coast, a little bit of wind. It's mostly sunny the whole weekend, so it ruined everybody's plans. But better to be safe than sorry, I guess. Uh, but now we're going to be dealing with a heat wave coming up in the next couple of days. We'll be back in the 90s again with heat index over 100. So summer's back with a vengeance again, I guess. But uh, we'll see the next few weeks. Maybe we'll get some fall-like temperatures. I don't know. But uh, I'll have to whip out the long-sleeve plaid again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It, it, the heat is coming back. And uh, talking of heat, let's uh, toss it down to Kit who is in uh, the comfy confines of the UNC Charlotte campus. Kid, how was your day today, and how was the weather there in the Queen City? It's hot. <laughs> I'm ready for summer to go away. <laughs> uh, we've got this uh, ridge that's going to be building over the next few days, so it's not going to be uh, proper fall weather for another week or two, probably. So that's discouraging, to say the least. But school's ramped up. I'm uh, finally getting in the groove of things, so I should be back on a little more regularly now. Um, but other than that, weather, I'm just, like I said, I'm ready for it to be fall. Um, I, I like when it's 80 degrees as a max and dew points are in the 50s. <laughs> That's what I'm yeah, looking Speaking to. of Charlotte, uh, this is day number 71 of temperatures at or above 90 degrees. The record is 88 so uh, we could possibly make a run at that, depending on what the long range looks like in September. I know we have at least four to six more days of 90 or 90-plus 90 uh, temperatures in the Charlotte metro area. So uh, if we don't break that record, we'll be uh, very close to that. So another place where the it's – uh, That's a good question. I should have – I think it's 1947, but ah. I didn't write Is Scotty here? Uh-oh. Uh -oh. We may have lost Scotty. but um, we'll, I was going to say, I think we lost Scotty. <laughs> well, let's throw it on down to Shay down in Charleston. Keep it going there. Hey, kid, how are you? We're, um, I'm doing well. Yeah, we're, we're enjoying the weather uh, in the wake of Hermine as it, as it came through this past Friday. And, boy, it really stirred things up. Um, we had uh, different variety of winds. We had some southerly winds, and then we had the wraparound northwesterly winds that kind of caught a lot of people off guard. And these tropical systems tend to act real funny when they climb up across the Piedmont areas, of, and especially the Midlands. I think the central uh, area of circulation passed just west of Charleston near Ridgeland or Somerville, uh, but, it, but it really dropped a lot of rain to our Midlands. It, it really joined up with the cold front, rode along the cold front, and then up into the mid-Atlantic states. So we had quite a bit of in, uh, weather out of that. Uh, since then, it's been beautiful, drier, sunny. And I tell you, you can you can smell the fall in the air. It's really coming. So we're that's we're doing pretty good here in Charleston. Looks like we got Scotty back. Yeah, I guess next time I shouldn't hit the uh, in call button instead of turning <laughs> my microphone off. But uh, anyways, so yeah, so yeah, it was good in Charleston, Shay. <laughs> yep. All right, good to know. <laughs> no, Sorry, I, I was just I was just saying it's beautiful weather here. Really gorgeous. It's getting a little bit hot this week, a little bit of humidity climbing up, but I think by next week we'll cool down again. I'd say Saturday, Sunday, Monday, wow, just incredible weather. It's gorgeous. Awesome. Well, let's uh, dig into the topic tonight. Uh, let's bring in our guest, uh, Matt Reagan, who is a meteorologist at Florida State University and uh, also uh, does a lot of things there on the campus. So, Matt, why don't you introduce yourself to us and uh, 
kind of give us a little bio about you and just uh, what's got you interested in weather. All right. Well, uh, it's awesome to be on the show. We've got I've got a lot to talk about um, because of Hermine. I guess that's why I'm here. Um, yeah, I am the we. I used to be one of the producers for the show. Here we have a broadcast. That's where I am right now. We actually just ended our first broadcast, student broadcast of the year. Well, we covered Hermine, but this was officially our air date for the local um, cable channel. But uh, I used to produce this show. Now I'm kind of in the, the behind the scenes a little bit more. Um, I'm also the newly elected local North Florida chapter of the AMS president. Um, so that's a lot of fun. We actually just won NWA chapter of the year uh, for last year, which I was also sitting on the board for. So that was a great time. Um, but I guess my weather interest, it came from hurricanes, 2004, 2005. Uh, we were smacked with uh, Katrina when it first hit Florida, down in South Florida, and Wilma. And we got both of those that season. Outer fringes of Fran, and, or, Fran, or not Fran, Francis and Jean. Um, but then this was probably the first bona fide hurricane that I experienced where I actually had some sort of meteorological knowledge. So that was nice. I actually knew kind of what was going on. Um, and especially my friend Levi Cohen here. Um, everyone knows Tropical Tidbits. I got to meet with him a little bit. We chatted, and having uh, the official tropical tidbit in your ear the whole night was nice. So I'm like, what's this thing doing now? And, and he would always kind of throw around some stuff. But it's really good to be on the show and um, share my experiences. Yeah, and Matt, where are, you, uh, where are you originally from? I'm from Fort Lauderdale, uh, so just north of Miami, um, down in South Florida. So it was uh, hurricanes are in my blood. Not so much tornadoes, but hurricanes. So this was kind of a an event where us meteorologists were, or student meteorologists rather, were geeking out to the max, at least until the one, the power went out. <laughs> well, well, talk, talking of Hermine, it was um, it was I don't know a twenty day storm, and, and Shay, I'm going to toss it to you for a little bit because uh, we have told you you're our tropical guy. Uh, we've been following this it seems like for three to three and a half weeks. Uh, Kind of just tell us about how it all started and what we've been watching throughout the past couple of weeks. Sure. Uh, yeah, I did some screen shares, so I don't know who, who can lock me in. Can everybody see it all right? Yes. Okay. Uh, I've got Grant Gilmore. I had to find something on the fly, the total track of the system. Uh, but you can see it started out as a tropical wave off of Africa, made it all the way across as a weak wave into the Lesser Antilles. And then once it got to the Greater Antilles, everyone thought, you know, the expectation was that this thing would become a, uh, a depression at least. But it really just kind of took its time going up and above the Dominican Republic, north of Cuba. The mountains and the, the topography of those islands uh, both hindered the de development of the system, so it remained as an invest. There were several times, I think, that people were like, gosh, when are they going to go ahead and upgrade this system? And, you know, the National Hurricane Center, I think, did a fantastic job holding out because there just wasn't enough strong winds wrapped around the core or convection wrapped around the core. It seemed to always be trailing off to the east or southeast quadrant of the system. And so you didn't get a lot of the, the southerly inflow uh, able to make it up and around the storm until it got clear of Cuba to the west. So once that happened, you can see here on in, in the Twitter feed where right when it gets to the, the western side of Cuba, the central low develops and then it turns into a tropical depression and rapidly heads to the north and north-northeast, becoming a hurricane right before landfall over the warm Gulf waters. The upper shear relaxed over that system as well, and that was another factor that was hindering its development as it traveled north of uh, Dominican Republic and Cuba. 
So there's several factors that kept this thing uh, just shy of developing into a tropical system, and we're very fortunate that it gained speed as it headed into the Florida coast into the Big Bend area because I think another 24 to 36 hours over that area of the Gulf up in the uh, northeast Gulf would have been uh, may have gotten this thing to a major status for a hurricane. It really, really blew up there at the very end. But you can see the track sort of taking it off, and, and it's been lingering for days off the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, it, it lost its tropical status once it sort of rode along the cold front and became more of a frontal embedded system. Uh, it actually started occluding along the northern end, which means that it's taking on colder air and it's trying to dispel the warmer air. Uh, the, cold, the warm core stayed just enough for it to remain a tropical storm for a bit, and then they took it off and named it post-tropical cyclone. And so <clears throat> that lingered for a couple of days uh, with tropical storm force winds along the coast. They're still deal dealing with that up there. Uh, so it's not quite over yet. There's, they still have uh, some surging, a little bit of um, additional tides and, and high waves and rip currents going on along the mid-Atlantic up to the northeast states. So not quite out of the woods yet, but that's the, the general... Um, track. This is from the Sims track where you can kind of see where it became a low and then into a tropical depression and headed up to the northeast. Let me see if I can find this quick loop. Unidata did a great job on a little video feed that I found and uh, this is kind of right where it's coming ashore in Florida as a hurricane with a distinct eye and it was 80 miles an hour was the top wind speed right before it made landfall and you can see how it just tracked right along the Carolina coast and then off of the Outer Banks out into the Mid-Atlantic region. So um, great little video from Unidata, and I think, uh, I think that's it for me unless um, you guys have any questions about it so far. I don't, I don't know if I explained all of the history, but I'm sure Matt would love to add to it if he, if he has anything. Yeah, I mean, I mean in, in terms of the storm, what we were watching down here is um, the Euro, and uh, boy, this was the biggest headache of a storm to forecast I think we've ever witnessed. Um, and we saw that the Euro pick this up and slam it into Tallahassee pretty early on in some of the runs, back when it was kind of this whole blob of nothing down at the Bahamas. And um, that kind of got my attention because it's, you know, the Euro, it, if you see something develop, you got to pay attention, but GFS didn't have anything. So I kind of woke up a little bit seeing that. And then a few days later, Euro dropped it. And I was like, well, I guess it's done. Um, and then, of course, we saw it all come back together in the Florida Straits. So, at least from a model trend perspective, eh, not, not that there was really much of a trend, um, but it was kind of something where we were kind of on guard, maybe, or at least myself was on guard maybe a week before, but I knew the, the threats about watching models that are over five days out. You know, they're, they get more unreliable at that point. Let's talk about um, this, and, and I know a lot of people, us in the weather community, we, we, we know what, what I'm getting ready to talk about, uh, but the, the general public does it, and, and forever, even, it's got its own hashtag now, you can still look it up, is Invest99L. So uh, David or, or, or Matt or anyone, uh, let's kind of talk about the public, what an invest is, and then Shay was talking about just a little bit ago, what a post-tropical cyclone is. I mean, all these words, uh, a lot of the general public just know tropical storm, hurricane, tropical depression, but what is uh, the invest, and what about a post-tropical cyclone? 
Yeah, I mean, invest invests ninety nine L. They usually reserve the nineties for the Atlantic Ocean, so like invest ninety one, ninety five, ninety nine, stuff like that. Uh, it's just basically an area where center is watching things, and they uh, can actually start running more hurricane models for that specific area of disturbed weather. And so that's just kind of helps demark some of the different ones. Like you could have like three, four, five of those invests or tropical storms or hurricanes. So it just kind of lets the National Hurricane Center know where each one of these is and you can follow along with it. And then post-tropical is pretty much what Shay said. It took on kind of fronts and kind of got colder air uh, aloft embedded within it. So it wasn't called a warm core anymore. So in other words, the temperature didn't go up and then you had the low level circulation. And usually in warm cores, you have the upper level high helping to ventilate the system. It kind of gets rid of all of that because the uh, warm core status isn't held together. So you're starting to get colder air mixed in. So it takes on more frontal characteristics. So that's kind of, really what happened with uh, Hermine in the end. But I know a lot of people were like 99L and they're just, you're just like, what in the world? And I see Shay there trying to show some of the, I was talking about when it was trying to go post-tropical when it was trying to get some of the energy at 500 embedded within it and slightly cooler air. So it wasn't uh, completely warm core anymore, but in terms of the public, you're right, Scotty, it's it's a bit of a headache and you're like 99L, like what in the world is 99L? I'm used to named storms like Allison or Hermine or Ian with the next name on the list or things like that. So it does kind of cause some confusion and you do need to take at least a little bit of time to maybe elaborate that to the viewer on a nightly basis. I mean, I do that whenever I show dew points here in central Virginia. I'm like, hey, dew points here, 70 or above and incredibly humid. I also use this to help forecast overnight lows. And then boom, I go into the low graphic thing. And that's part of the reason why we're looking at overnight lows in the lower 70s the next couple of nights because these dew points are going to be so much higher. So it's just kind of up to the uh, broadcast meteorologist. It's kind of our responsibility to take at least 15, 20 seconds to kind of elaborate that to the viewer so that they can at least gain a little bit of knowledge for hopefully future events. And after a little while, after a couple of years of you doing it, hopefully they, hopefully, hopefully they uh, become more accustomed to it and aren't as confused by named monikers like 99L. Yeah, totally, totally agree, David. And that very confusing for, for some a lot of people ask me, whoa, you know, this thing's post-tropical cyclone. They say that it's going to be going back to hurricane. I mean, you can see uh, this was September the 3rd where the National Hurricane Center was expecting this to maybe go back to hurricane status. And you, you've got an including area here where it's taking on some cooler air at the mid to upper levels. It's keeping a warm core. There's Gulf Stream down here to the south, feeding up some warmer air. But uh, then you have cooler waters to the north. I mean, you've got a lot of cold air injection into this system. Uh, and so that's where it becomes really confusing for people. Post-tropical, but then it could become a hurricane again. You know, how, how does it do that? You know, what is, is it subtropical or what kind of hybrid system? And, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and one thing I always just tell people is subtropical, cold core. All right. Um, Post-tropical cyclone, yeah. warm core. You could even, you could even call it a, um, oh, I don't know. What's the other term for post-tropical cyclone? Not subtropical, but there's another 
another term for it. But uh, just uh, just to throw more into the mix of it all, very confusing once this entered out to the Atlantic uh, off the North Carolina coast. But um, Matt, if you want to join in on that, yeah. Um, in terms of the naming thing down here, it was a mess because we it went from depression to hurricane in about 24 hours, and it was broadcasting wise um, we, we, we kind of saw this a little bit more in hindsight and since FSU our main communication at least FSU weather um, was through Twitter and social media outlets uh, we did have a little bit we did the broadcast we did the live stream and, and some people tuned in but really most of what people saw was through Twitter um, and really and even in hindsight when we were talking to the public they had no clue it was going to be this bad um, and some did who lived through uh, Hurricane Kate, and I'll get that get into that in a little while. But in terms of the naming thing, it was an issue down here because how do you uh, how do you tell people that a hurricane may be coming when it's just Invest 99L or Invest whatever? Um, it, it was really a challenge to do, especially some of my friends. I was like, hey guys, we should probably think about preparing. And they're like, prepare for what? There's nothing out there. So it was uh, another one of those cases that. You know, we've seen this a couple times in the media the last few weeks, especially with the Louisiana floods. Something that's not named, you know, doesn't really have any, you know, anything to give to the public in terms of uh, urgency. And that was something, an issue that we really saw down here. And I believe, guys, uh, I may have fixed my microphone to see if it sounds better. Uh, but there was some, uh, you know, can you hear me better now? You're quieter and still on carpool. Okay, I don't know, yeah. having issues tonight. This is why James isn't here to do all this stuff. So uh, anyways, uh, we were talking about uh, earlier in our, our group chat last week that even some of the media members um, was frustrated because uh, this thing wasn't getting a name. And it was not far from big places like Miami or Tampa or even up in Tallahassee. So uh, let's kind of talk about that and then how fast it really intensified. Uh, Shay, I think you said earlier in the beginning, you know, if this thing would have been another day in the Gulf Coast, in the Gulf of Mexico area, we could have seen a major hurricane. So let's just kind of talk about how it just rap rapidly intensified in a little less than 12 hours. Well, I'll, I'll defer that one to Matt since he was in the area. Um, you guys were really studying the system. Um, I didn't see that much of a drop in pressure over a 24-hour period. But I, but I do tend to think that it given another 24 to 36 hours at a slower speed heading north, uh, that thing probably had some potential there. There's no, no upper-level shear. The convection started to wrap around the core. All four quadrants were starting to see deeper convection, uh, a more solid core. Everything was becoming more symmetrical. The outflow, you had anticyclone aloft. You had all the, the exhaust mechanisms were in place. The system was breathing, and you, go, you take it from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. Uh, it had a lot of. Most of the student meteorologists down here kind of saw this coming, in a sense where the hurricane was going to intensify. We kind of, you know, we were throwing around numbers, and we, we kind of thought maybe 90 miles per hour at landfall, and it was 80. So we were a little bit off, but we went kind of to the high side, and this is one of those situations where we were, you know, not really too happy that we were right, um, but it was. A system that it intensified to the point where the pressure it went down 
Um, but it, it just went down to a point where I don't think the public was ready for something like this. Um, and I think that was kind of just a combination of the fact that um, Tallahassee in particular, it's a forest city and it pretty much is in a forest. And everywhere you go, there are these large oak pine trees that are hundreds of feet tall and the root systems are really tiny. And, um, you know, you get any, even a small wind, even the tropical storm, if it was a tropical storm, it came through here, it would cause some damage. But it was, we, the National Weather Service was hinting at, there were probably some areas east of town that had some hurricane force gusts, but the only one that was recorded was 64 mile per hour gust here on campus. And winds like that will snap those trees like matchsticks. And unfortunately, underneath those trees are houses, power lines, and whatever else is in the way. In a lot of cases, we saw a lot of cars and, and restaurants with trees on top of them. And that was one of those things where, you know, anything from a tropical storm and up would, would create a big headache for the infrastructure here. And I think uh, the day leading up to it, wasn't really expected to be that bad, but we were kind of getting ready for it to be bad. Um, and then after the damage assessment on Friday morning, which was the day after the storm, the uh, when we went out there, we th we knew it was bad. And then the uh, infrastructure, the utilities people came out and said that 80% of the entire power grid had sustained severe damage. And that's like pretty much almost the entire town was without power. There were some cities down south of here, some smaller towns that were 100% in the dark. And I'm sure if, if someone has a satellite picture of the Big Bend that night, I'm sure it would look pretty eerie. I, I, I meant to look that up somewhere, but um, that was one of those things that I know we were talking about intensity, but even from Tropical Storm and up, we were watching this thing as soon as it started wrapping the convection around and then as soon as it started to take this, it was kind of heading on a northeasterly track, and then all of a sudden it was like, nope, turned north, kind of wobbled to the north for about three hours or so, and a large area of convection that started to build up, and a band started moving through, and we saw this thing coming, and we're like, this is going to be the one to knock power out. And I think that the eeriest thing going off of that was we were watching, facing, we were facing east, and the winds were blowing east to west, and we could see in the distance power flashes progressively getting closer and closer to us. And we knew that this was a wind gust. Either this was the wind gust or this was just this band. And as we saw power flash after power flash after power flash, then it hit the campus and the entire city of Tallahassee went dark after that. And it was, you know, something that um, I don't think a lot of people realize how bad it actually was down here and, and in Florida, really anywhere right now with these temperatures. You lose power for five days, you're sleeping in 85-degree weather, and you don't really sleep. Um, so luckily, we most students kind of skipped town and went to uh, areas that actually had power. But um, it was something eerie to watch. And I don't know if, if many people saw my picture that I posted on Twitter where the campus and the state capitol were, were dark. Um, that was one of the eeriest things I've ever seen. Even though the winds gusted to 64, many people were like, eh, 64, it's just a tropical storm force wind, just a, a category one hurricane. I think this was something for me that finally said, no such thing as just anything. Right. Yeah. Right. And we got a, um, oh, sorry, David, if you want to go ahead, I was just going to share something real quick. Uh, talk about the winds. The yeah. Area, was, if you can see this. I, I was just going to, I was just going to like uh, reinforce Matt that 64 was recorded at Doak, wasn't it? 
Yeah, that was a dope STEM uh, site there. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and you, many people who aren't familiar with Florida State, Doak is kind of in one of the lower parts of campus, mm -hmm. and then you have the Love Building closer to the top. The Love Building is a meteorology building, and I'm assuming you guys were up uh, on the roof where the map room is, and they have basically a wall of windows facing off to the east, facing towards the state capitol where Matt was saying things were coming from. So he was up top higher than where Doak Campbell Stadium was, so, I mean, it wouldn't be surprised to see, especially at the top of the Capitol building, if they had hurricane force winds associated with that. So I think that made that 64 mile per hour gusts, at least to me, that much more impressive because Doak is a little bit lower in elevation compared to the rest of campus. So I was definitely uh, surprised by that. And I'm like, well, somebody got 70, 75 mile per hour winds probably. Wow. Yeah, we picked up um, Bald Point. Uh, down near Alligator Point, this is about the area where, where this made landfall, near St. Mark's. Uh, and this was very close to the eye. Not a lot of data points there, uh, but the Bald Point picked up 78 miles an hour gust, uh, average is 61 miles an hour at 9.50 p.m., 78 miles an hour at 10.15 p.m., so that's about the right time. Uh, actually, our station out here in Appalachia Bay, goodbye. It's gone. So... Um, Right at the highest peak there at 9.29, maybe a little after 9.29 p.m., our station went in the water. So that one's gone, and uh, we hope to get another one back there soon. We may have to wait on the Coast Guard to see about using their Navigate out there. But uh, either way, that's all the real data points I got. That's the highest ones I could find was at Bald Point. That's that's interesting stuff. And also, Matthew brought up some very good points about him saying, okay, there's no such thing as tropical storm. It's just cat one. It's just a cat two because it impacts people differently because he said he's from Fort Lauderdale and I had quite a few friends down there on the East Coast and South Florida. And the whole makeup of South Florida is completely different than the makeup of North Florida. North Florida like Matthew was talking about, you got a ton of trees. And these are hardwood trees that just snap like a twig in winds greater than 40 miles per hour. And then you have South Florida, where, yeah, you have some of those trees still, especially some oak trees now and then, but it's mainly palmier stuff and it's more flexible. So it's it probably did more damage to uh, the Tallahassee and the Big Bend region with it hitting there as opposed to maybe hitting in the – Miami, Fort Lauderdale area, because if it hit there, yeah, you'd have some power outages. They're going to happen during hurricanes, but it wouldn't have been nearly as extensive down in like the Miami, Fort Lauderdale area as opposed to the Big Bend region, because again, you have Apalachicola Forest on the doorstep to Tallahassee and just all these trees. And I think that's the biggest kind of challenge that we have as broadcast meteorologists is kind of looking back at that history. And I saw some of my other Florida state friends and they're like telling their friends who aren't meteorologists, just like, Hey, take this seriously because you get winds 50 miles per hour. You're probably losing power. And unfortunately they saw winds even higher than that. So that's definitely the challenge uh, that we have as meteorologists. It's just like, Hey, yeah, winds are 80 miles per hour, but like what, what about the impacts? And I think that's something that, we are becoming more aware of and definitely are improving on, but we could definitely do a little bit better job. 
And Matt, um, well, sorry, I was looking at TweetDeck. We have a question for for everyone that was affected by Hermine, but especially you, Matt. Was this uh, this is from Craig uh, on Twitter, Craig CC? Uh, a lot of people uh, follow Craig there on Twitter. So, Craig, thanks for watching tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, student at Mississippi State. Uh, he wanted to know if this was the worst storm that you've been through, Matt, and then um, any of the rest of us uh, that was affected by it. Uh, for me. Well, thank you for the question, uh, first off, but this was, it was a different kind of storm. And I, the reason why I say that is um, I, I'm on my own. We're all on our own up here. We're trying to, we're kind of the voice to these students. So a lot of the responsibility I feel like falls on my shoulders. And I feel like a lot of the unprepared or unpreparedness of some of the students is partially my fault. Of course, I'm going to blame myself. We, a lot of the people, the student meteorologists here are blaming themselves for not getting the information out that they could. Um, but in terms of the storms, Wilma was definitely the worst for me uh, down in South Florida because we got, uh, I think it hit as a strong tropical two uh, or tropical two, category two. It's been a long day. Um, strong category two. And it was a three um, just before landfall. So this is a, almost a major hurricane at landfall. And we got the northern or the southern eye wall in Broward County, which is just north of Miami-Dade County, pretty much the whole time. We had winds gusting to 107, 110 miles per hour. And we were without power for Wilma for two weeks. We were without water for three days. And it was, that was, that was the experience that, that got me into it. And for, to tell people to try to get them to understand that you like weather because it inconvenienced you and pretty much ruined your life for two weeks it's a strange thing to kind of um, uh, purvey or, or uh, to get across to a lot of people. But Wilma was definitely the biggest one for me. Katrina, when it hit South Florida, it hit as a very sort of similar system to this. It was intensifying over the Gulf Stream waters as it started to move in. And it became a Category 1 just prior to landfall. But this one was a bona fide, strong Category 1 hurricane. And this one was just a different type of bad just because – Going around, seeing the damage firsthand, I saw um, a very emotional scene where a guy was in the street, neighbors were out, and there was a tree that was probably, I think it was on his house or something, I don't quite remember, and he was just sitting in the middle of the street crying. And to see this was like, you know, this is one of the harder things um, that I've ever had to see. I've never seen a tornado, I've never chased a tornado, I've never seen tornado aftermath, but when you see something is what you think is little as a tree falling, on someone's house, car, whatever, and just this man bawling in the streets. It was like, geez, this was, this was really bad for this community. And, you know, it hits people in different ways. But that was the long or the short of it. Hurricane Wilma was the uh, worst intensity, at least for me. Um, Shay, I know that you felt some effects of Hermine there in Charleston. Um, you want to chime in on the question? Sure, sure. Um... For us here in Charleston, we had, um, I tell you, we had two different two different directions of winds and two different elements going on with the system. Number one, uh, being that the center of circulation passed so close to our west, uh, our southerly flow really ramped up along the beaches. Luckily, we didn't have a high tide during the peak winds, so our tide was outgoing during the peak winds, which was a huge help. Um, the, the storm was not off the coast in order to bring us a large surge, so we were spared that. Uh, but our winds did, we got 49 mile an hour average at Folly Beach Pier, 
Uh, that was the highest average recorded. Highest wind speed was 63 miles an hour on Sullivan's Island in Augusts. Um, on the wraparound winds that became came from the northwest, later on, we already had about nine or 10,000 people out of power in the Tri-County area. And once the winds wrapped around from the northwest, the gradient tightened, and the winds came back almost as high as they were before during the daytime. So you had sort of a downslope feature transitioning into nighttime and some rain banding. When everyone thought that the winds were over and the rain was over, it actually turned back on again. The rain and the wind, and it got very gusty, and we lost about eight or 9,000 more people with power. Uh, so fortunately... Um, it was a, most most areas got back to normal very quickly. I'm sure you folks down there in Florida, Matt, are are still dealing with a lot of issues down there. Uh, we we were spared quite a bit of that. Uh, we had some flooding, not very much, not nothing to really complain about. Uh, like I said, no storm surge. We had some high winds, power outages. Uh, we had one death in Charleston, out in Cottageville. A gentleman was trying to uh, remove a tree from the road, and a car struck him. So. Um, yeah, unfortunate situation there, but that's the only death that we had associated with Hermine across South Carolina. Most people were very aware of it. I think the communication got out very well. There was some uh, some media hype days prior to that that got people kind of thrown off. That might be a topic for a different night, but uh, when it came down to it, when it was making landfall, everyone did a fantastic job getting the word out, and people were very aware of what was going on, and, and uh, surprisingly little traffic on the road this time, so it's good. Before I get to Peter to ask him his effects up there in the Northeast, because I know it's totally different than what Florida and along the Southeast Coast uh, had, what what was the tornadoes like? Uh, was there any tornadoes there uh, in the Big Bend? Uh, Matt, I know watching, I think all of us here on the panel was watching radar until 1 or 1.30 whenever it made landfall um, Thursday night or, yeah, Thursday night, early Friday morning. Friday morning. Uh, was there any tornadoes, confirmed tornadoes? I know there was some warnings, and then, Shay, I, I honestly didn't pay attention much to Charleston. Was there any warnings up in that direction either? or either? Just just tropical storm warnings. We did have some tornado watch uh, zones built all the way up and down the coastline earlier on. I think they were trying to push that until, I believe, about 4 o'clock p.m. They had those watches issued all the way out through the whole day. Uh, once the southerly winds passed, they, they took that down. But there were some tornadoes overnight during the nocturnal hours, early morning into southeastern Georgia and southeast South Carolina. There was one in South Carolina that I know of. They did verify that as EF0. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's there was several warnings issued that morning early. I was up at like 4.30 in the morning, and I already saw warnings coming across around 5 or 5.30. Um, but I don't think all those were verified, and I'm still waiting to see that all the LSR reports. They're still trying to do it. <laughs> it's going to take them a little bit of time. All right, and Matt? Yeah, we um, actually we had a, a few tornado warnings just to the southeast of our area, and that was when things were starting to – we didn't know what to cover in here. The tornado warnings, hurricane, everything was going nuts. Um, but we did have uh, – three of those tornadoes were confirmed, all in uh, Taylor County. Um, so that's south, pretty far southeast of us, kind of in the northeastern quadrant of the storm where you would expect to see um, exactly where that is. Um, so once that started wrapping up and around, we, the threat for tornadoes kind of diminished, but there was still a possibility for something small to spin down. And David, I know you and I and James uh, were watching this via our, our 
message uh, message board that we do, and uh, we even seen mm -hmm. tornado warnings even as far as Orlando and places uh, up into Jacksonville uh, as well. I had a couple tornado warnings out uh, near the uh, Lakeview Univista and Disney area. They also had uh, some tornado warnings up in the uh, eastern portion of Georgia as well. I remember Ricky was watching his uh, one friend, Garrett. He's in Jacksonville, and he had to go on for a tornado warning that had a nice uh, TDS associated with it there north of Brunswick. So. Definitely, probably a handful, maybe two handfuls of uh, confirmed tornadoes with this. So there were tornadoes, but at least it wasn't a crazy tornado outbreak like other systems. Yeah, and I think for North Carolina, I believe there was two or three confirmed uh, by Moorhead, uh, Moorhead City Office. Um, our buddy Gary Stevenson was uh, tweeting or, and Facebooking about that a couple of days ago. So uh, there was a few, but like we said, uh, not a big outbreak that we have seen it in past. Uh, Peter, I want to get to you, but this next topic kind of to, uh, will bring you into the conversation was storm surge. Uh, I guess the one of the coolest things, but not cool in a sense, was uh, uh, Mark Suddeth had a, a camera up in, uh, I think it was Cedar, was it Cedar Key, uh, where he had a the, yeah. the storm surge cam up, and, and you could just watch the progression through the day into the night, and then as, as Hermine was making landfall, uh, I think at one time we saw a dock actually go across the road from, from the uh, storm surge. So talk to us a little bit about that uh, down there in the Big Bend area. And then Shay and Peter, I'll bring you guys in as well because uh, you guys did see at least some surge up there in the northeast. Yeah, we, um, at least in the Big Bend, I, I was able to do a, an aerial damage survey uh, a few days afterwards where things were, for the most part, getting cleaned up. But um, – I did see some damage to Alligator Point. Uh, Cedar Key was pretty hard hit uh, in terms of storm surge. And Alligator Point is, is another one of those areas that were hard hit. I think there was a boat on the road, whatever was left with the road um, at some point. And uh, when I flew over those areas uh, a day ago, day and a half ago, um, it still looked as though it was, there was still some damage down there. Um, really those communities could have seen it a lot worse. I think they were all built up on stilts and it seemed like the stilts that they were built up on were really sturdy. So there might've been some minor damage to some houses and areas. The road was kind of ripped up. It looked pretty bad. Um, but from what I saw from the air down in the St. Mark's area, Alligator Point was pretty much due south and a little bit farther west. Um, it, it didn't look too terrible. And at least from what the estimates could have been, uh, but granted, that was three or four days after the storm, so probably a lot had been cleaned up by then. Any uh, storm, any storm surge for uh, your part of uh, the area, Shay? And, and then Peter will go up to you. No, we had we had about a foot or two, I think that, um, and it didn't really. We didn't get over about a foot. I, you know, I honestly, it wasn't so much of an issue. I was more concerned about the wind and power outages. So it went into uh, when when you're in forecast mode at that time, you're. I was really all over the wind speeds. Uh, number one, also watching radar. The storm surge didn't seem like that much of a big. It really wasn't that big of an issue because the tide was out. Um, now, when those winds came up later, the tide was coming in, but it was offshore wind. So equally fortunate that it kept those waters out. Um, usually when you get an overpowering offshore wind, it makes the high tide about a foot or a foot and a half less. 
so that that was a, a huge help. But I've got the local storm report uh, for I got some of Tallahassee. I'll go ahead and screen share this. The Tallahassee all the way through um, National Weather Service Charleston, and there, there's really I think they're still trying to populate these LSRs. I'm sure that a lot of the the storm surge issues down um, um, down in Cedar Key and those in those areas will be forthcoming. But you can see all the tropical storm force wind icons on the screen here. And as we go up into Georgia, there's there was tornado uh, right there. Let's see, South Newport, EF zero. Uh, this one right here that was in near South Carolina that was EF zero as well. Um, heading up heading up the coastline, really just a lot of wind, a lot of wind reports. There was lots of trees down, lots of power lines down. Um, and as we get into North Carolina, I've put it in Wilmington and Moorhead, and here's Moorhead right here. You can see uh, zero tornado as well. Oh, I'm sorry, EF1. That was EF1 tornado. And that was in, I guess that would be close to, it doesn't say exactly near Gloucester, um, one near Marshallburg, and that was an EF1 as well. So, um, yeah, two, two EF1s. Looks like a water spout touched down here uh, near Harker's Island. So North Carolina saw that on, on outer Cape near Cape Fear, I'm sorry, Cape Lookout, and uh, that's pretty much all I can see from the LSRs from what they've populated so far. Only a, a, two tornadoes uh, in Georgia, one, two in North Carolina. And then Peter, once Carmina uh, uh, went through the Big Bend area and went through the southeast coast, uh, it eventually had its eyes set for you guys up there in Jersey. Uh, uh, fortunately, uh, the models uh, uh, had to take a much closer uh, grace to, to your area uh, didn't come to fruition, but talk to us a little bit about what you guys all experienced up there this weekend. Yeah, I mean, um, it was, judging from the models, if everything panned out, this was going to be a really, really bad weekend down the shore, but luckily uh, it didn't happen that way, but we still see uh, some waves from this uh, this whole week. Um, right now, Atlantic City, Cape May, we're seeing waves around uh, three feet or so, and uh, the swell is three to four feet. So uh, we're still seeing moderate rip currents. So I know a lot of beaches were closed the last few days. They didn't want anybody in the ocean or getting near the ocean. So, um, you know, I know it did ruin a lot of plans, and everybody was mad about that. But uh, luckily, we missed the brunt of the storm. We missed a good majority of the storm, and we only got – a little bit of wind, some rip currents, and uh, a little bit of beach erosion up and down the Jersey coast, but that was about it. Yeah, and uh, it was, uh, it was I don't know, it, it was kind of, kind of controversial up there because uh, you guys, with Sandy, that still in the back of your mind, you know, a lot of people uh, vacation up in the Atlantic Beach area and all the way up in the northeast. Uh, I know there were some people that were not very happy with the forecast up in your area, Peter. Uh, no, they weren't because, um, you know, the forecasters up there, up here, I can't blame them. Um, you know, they were saying this was going to be a really, really bad storm, and it could have been like Sandy again, possibly. Um, but, of course, as we all know, it didn't happen. So everybody's all mad, and, you know, um, but, you know, everybody's still recovering from Sandy to this day. So... I don't know why you would even want something major to happen again because uh, houses are still getting rebuilt and beaches are still horrible. So um, luckily it didn't happen. So I would say just be happy. It didn't, nothing happened. 
definitely always better to prepare than and then not be prepared. So, right. uh, and, and kids, uh, I'll toss it to you because you're in the Charlotte area. Uh, we were right on the outer bend of that. So, talk to us a little bit about what all the uh, the Piedmont area saw. Well, uh, like you said, the Piedmont area uh, was sort of uh, the very last bent uh, or the furthest inland that any rain could get. Um, but it's, uh, it was sort of like Friday night. Uh, I was going to go hang out with a friend for her uh, last night in Charlotte. Uh, she's moving up to Washington, D.C. But uh, some of the uh, rain bands were coming through, and it was just making it a nasty mess. But at one point, um, it was kind of uh, in the center of circulation. Um, when it was meandering down in the Gulf for a while, they couldn't really find this actual center um, with the Hurricane Hunter. Uh, airplane drop songs and whatnot. Um, so that sort of uh, gave us a little bit of a shock when uh, the National Hurricane Center um, gave us a forecast cone with uh, some of the the inner part of the forecast cone was coming right through the Charlotte area. So that would have been uh, interesting to see. Um, granted, it might not have uh, had enough moisture to pull off of the Gulf, so it might not have been like in Charleston where 60 miles an hour, but it still would have been um, pretty bad because we uh, haven't really had a lot of rain recently, but it's been enough that the ground would get saturated and then we'd have a number of trees down just like in the Apalachicola area. So uh, once they uh, finally found the center, it was like I think two forecast cones uh, is issued um, with it coming over North Carolina uh, Piedmont. But even still, we got a good bit of rain. Uh, check the or okay, the monitor comes out tomorrow, um, and parts of Mecklenburg and Gaston County, and some counties in South Carolina were under abnormally dry. I wouldn't be surprised if enough uh, enough rain from Hermine to sort of knock down some of the abnormally dry regions as well as for um, down towards the coast. I know there's a number of places out there that have uh, some, let's see if I can find it real quick, uh, the drought monitor. Because um, all in all, it was a somewhat needed rain uh, that we got. Um, yeah, there we go. Um, so like there's a swath of abnormally dry that goes up from like uh, Rockingham and Fayetteville up through Wake County. Um, let's see if I can't screen share real quick. Um, share. Here we go. So yeah, um, you see out here towards the mountains, there's a bit of a severe drought um, down there in Cherokee County, but over here in Gaston County, that's probably going to get knocked down tomorrow, as well as this swath right here. Um, down towards the sand hills because um, I think the track came right through uh, what is that New Hanover County um, so that those outer bands were starting to uh, give a good bit of rain through the sand hills um, and I think in South Carolina they should probably uh, get knocked down a little bit on their droughts um, through their sand hills area yeah yeah that those those areas definitely should uh, I say over by Augusta, upstate South Carolina, that where the red is, uh, the extreme area. Um, right. They they got a pretty good bit there. I mean, 
most areas in the Midlands, the upstate got a got a pretty good bit, especially later. And that's what I, one thing I talked to David about the other night was there was some moisture that was pushed into the mid to upper atmosphere, up upslope into the mountains, and then so when the wraparound winds came, it just feeds it all the way back down the coastline. So the Midlands all the way to the coast, actually the upstate to all the way to the coast, got another um, kind of an injection of rain from behind the system. So that that uh, I think most of our areas should be, I wouldn't say out of the drop, but at least most of those areas knocked down. be interesting to see what the next product's going to show. All right, guys, well, we're uh, closing in on the uh, 9 o'clock hour, so my last question, and this is for everyone, is um, now that we've had our first brush with the hurricane, uh, what did we learn from Hermine? What can we take from it as we kind of finish out the rest of the, the tropical season? Matt, I'll, uh, I'll let you go first since you're our guest. Okay. Um, the biggest thing I think I kind of alluded to this a little bit before uh, that we learned from Hermine is, one, that this was an annoying storm. Uh, it was around for <laughs> two and a half weeks. It, it, it became something of a drag to try to forecast. And then when it finally had its sights set on Tallahassee and we knew it was going to be bad, um, it became even worse. So not only was this thing hard to forecast, but now we were going to start to get the brunt of it. Um, and I think the biggest thing that if, if there's anybody who uh, – you, you talk about overhype and hype and all this stuff, and unfortunately that's the nature of public business. It's the nature of broadcasting. But when you're in it and you know that, as I said before, there's no such thing as just a tropical storm or just a Category 1, um, you know, it kind of opens your eyes and try to make – try to – Help you help you think a little bit differently. Maybe how we can try to approach this differently in the future. Um, but unfortunately, the public is going to be the public, and that's how it is. That's makes that's what makes this so tricky. Is how do we take something that you know you spend years studying and convert it into something where people can respond to? And I think this has been a an area of ex exploration for years. It's going to continue to be an area of exploration for years. Um, and, and I'm interested to see how it goes. And for me personally, this was a real thrill. Uh, we got to go hang out in a hurricane where we could just go stand outside with a bunch of meteorology majors. And it doesn't get much better than that until the power went out <laughs> about 2 in the morning. Um, but it was uh, something that I won't forget. I won't soon forget uh, as an experience here. I mean, we, my freshman year, we won the national championship in football. And then now my senior year, we got a direct hit by a hurricane. I, I'm, I don't know. Maybe I should. I don't know about that. But anyway, lucky retire. <laughs> retire on that note. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have to say, I learned how to be patient. The main thing, um, going on guidance from the National Hurricane Center, regardless of how you feel about things, regardless of what you're seeing, what you're agreeing on with with colleagues and and other experts in the field, that you're saying, "Wow, you know, what is the holdup?" But really. Uh, you gain a lot of respect for the National Hurricane Center in, in a situation like that where there's this persistent wave that the models are blowing up over and over and over again, or they're not, um, and they're so on and off. So I think I think that's my main thing is I learned a lot of patience with this system and, and how to, to sit back and just take it hour to hour, day to day. Anybody else? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much it's just like – the models are going to change. Definitely continue to look at ensembles. I mean, you learn that 
up here in the mountains and snow forecasting and everything else. And that's something that I think a lot of people kind of miss out on and they just see it's just like, wow, look at this 982 millibar hurricane trying to make landfall near the St. Mark's area like the Euro showing at day 10, which, by the way, it did show that. I shared that with the uh, group on the message board, but I was like, I'm not sharing that out to the public. But, I mean, overall, like they did a great job, the models that is with the track. Yeah, there were some westward movements and some eastward movements but i mean in the overall grand scheme of things that's just noise and to again just i think this just was a good primer for the state of florida unfortunately tallahassee and the big bend region bore the brunt of it and that's probably one of the least hurricane ready areas in the state at least in terms of uh just trying to get everything back up and running in a fast manner especially for a weaker storm and then just just like all right just look at the big picture don't always look at the small like 982 making landfall in st mark's look at the big picture look at what everything is doing and uh just trying to communicate that to the public yeah i think i learned uh, pay attention to the small details uh looking at all the information that the national hurricane center uh, put out I think when we saw that westward track in the models, uh, I think they said that the, uh, the center had initialized wrong maybe a, a degree or two, so uh, that uh, brought in that westward track. So uh, just pay attention to the small details, uh, pay attention to what the National Hurricane Center is, and it's always better to be prepared than, than not to be prepared at all. All right, guys, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. I'm going to let Matt uh, give an opportunity to share his uh, social media uh, accounts with our followers and our viewers. And uh, in that way, if uh, they ever want to get in touch with him, they can uh, they can tweet him or Facebook or, or however you want to, uh, to, whatever you want to get out, Matt. Yeah, uh, if you want to tweet at me or follow me on Twitter, uh, I've been fairly active during the storm. I can answer any questions. Uh, it's at Reagan Matt, and Reagan is spelled like the president, so R-E-A-G-A-N. Uh, some people botch the spelling, um, and so you can find me there. I also have a Facebook page, student meteorologist Matt Reagan, um, but for the most part, I'll uh, respond quicker, and I'm on Twitter a little bit more, um, but I'll, I'll figure that one out later. But if you have any more questions, shoot them at my way, and I'd be happy to answer them. I appreciate you uh, coming on. I know it's been a long day for you, and uh, thank you for allowing us to have, uh, have you on for this hour. And Scotty, I, I've got one more thing to add before we close the show, and I think it's important to get the word out. There's another article circulating around on the Internet saying that Charleston's going to be hit by a hurricane. It's the same one that came out in <laughs> August the 20th, I believe. And, you know, i I got to say, you know, you just got to be careful what you're looking at. So I, I definitely want to put this out there for the viewers. This is the only thing we have going on in the Atlantic right now. I don't know if you can see the screen or not. Are we good? Uh, you haven't shared yet. Okay, how about now? Nope. <laughs> Still waiting. Nope. All right, let's try this one more time. Oh, there we go. Oh, there okay, we go. Yes. Here we okay. go. There it is. All right, so um, <laughs> I don't even want to put the article up because it's <laughs> – first of all, I couldn't find it. I think whoever had it deleted it because they realized it was a, it was a hoax. But uh, this is the only thing we have going on in the Atlantic right now, a single tropical wave coming off of Africa with a very low chance in the next two days of development, 10%. And the actual five-day outlook dropped to 60%. It was at 70, now it's at 60. So this wave is a long ways out. 
It's not even developed yet. In fact, it's having a hard time getting through some of the Saharan dust at the higher levels. Um, I don't want to get too too deep into this, but you can see what these waves do when they come off the coast. Is sometimes they, the immediate fight that they have is this this dust, these oranges and yellows, is dust from the Saharan desert that gets trapped up at the mid levels, and then they fight to even make it from these. In fact, the Saharan desert protects us from a lot of these systems. So when you're seeing these tracks come out way ahead of time, you're talking 200, 300 hours out, don't believe everything that you see in the media where these systems are going to come all the way across the Atlantic and slam into Charleston, South Carolina or uh, North Carolina or whatever. It's just too far out to tell. So that's really all that's going on out there right now. We're actually uh, trying to enjoy a quiet time in the Atlantic Basin for a little bit. We're only at September 7th, the peak of the season is at September 10th, so we're nearing the, the peak of the season. Then we still have all the way through October and November to, to go, so um, we're still very much in the heart of the, the Atlantic Basin hurricane season, so keep that in mind. And seeing, uh, even on the, uh, at, at the end of the GFS, what we call GFS Fantasyland, where there's always seems to be some sort of major storm or like some sort of epic snow event at the end of it, that never comes to fruition. Um, even at, in the fantasy land of the GFS, it has this system and two others recurving before they even get to Bermuda. So it's it's really something that um, once you see an article come out like that, uh, there's high pressure over the East Coast that really isn't going much of anywhere for the next week and a half, uh, which is going to be still so high, but it's not going to go anywhere for the next week and a half. So we're pretty safe as far as that one that is out in the Atlantic right now, um, there's very little chance that it'll even make it to Bermuda, much less Charleston. Hey guys, well, we'll end on that. Uh, Matt, again, thanks for coming on. Remember, next week we are off. Um, we're going to have a, a little break since of uh, all the tropical stuff. We're going to take a break. Uh, if you go, uh, a few of the guys are going to get off at the, the AMS conference. Uh, I'm sorry, NWA conference uh, there in the Hampton uh, Roads area. So uh, we're going to take next week off, but we will, we will uh, reconvene on the 21st and uh, kind of recap the uh, NWA conference. And then after that, we're going to be talking with the folks of Kokoros. Um, we got them confirmed to come on uh, September 28th to kind of talk about the program and how you can be involved in it. And then October, uh, we are dedicating the full month to flooding. So we're going to be talking about the one-year anniversary of the South Carolina flood. Uh, the next week, Marshall Shepard's going to be on with us um, to talk to us about uh, his thoughts on flooding and then a few other guests as we uh, round out the month. So uh, next week, uh, we will not be on, but you can catch us on uh, any of our YouTube uh, rebroadcasts on our uh, YouTube page. So uh, if you missed us that much, make sure to check out uh, one of the episodes and if not, we will see you on the 21st. We hope you all have a great week. Stay safe out there. Enjoy uh, enjoy the hot weather while it's around because two or three months from now it'll be cold and we'll be wanting summer back. So you all have a, uh, <laughs> you all have a great weekend and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. <laughs>